Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. The last time that we had a conversation about the Milwaukee Brewers was on Tuesday. We spent all day Monday talking about the Bucks, talking about the Packers draft. And we spent most of the day yesterday talking about the Bucks. Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network joined us, kind of looking forward to the next two games in Boston. Taking a couple of days off from talking about the Brewers, and the last time we did talk about the Brewers on Tuesday, man, we're, we're feeling like we're in a good spot. Took 2-3 or three over the weekend against the Mets. They won their uh, their opener against the Colorado Rockies. Feeling good. They were showing some improvement in areas that we were concerned about. Well, we take one day off and everything goes to hell. Since the last time we've talked about the Brewers, uh, they have lost two in a row to the Rockies. They end up splitting the four-game series. Losing last night 11-4 and losing this afternoon 11-6. Unfortunately, some of you may have had to listen to that game here on WKTY earlier this afternoon. I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe we just need to avoid talking about the Brewers, and when they're playing good, we just need to shut our traps. Because on Tuesday, I was gassing the Brewers up, and I believe at the time, the Brewers sit at 17-16 and 16 now. So the Brewers were two games over 500 at the time. Uh, they, they would have been, what would that make them? 17-15 and, and, and 15 at the time, or 16-14, and 14, whatever it was. They were two or three games over 500. Their starting pitchers were, were starting to feel a little bit more consistent. We had just gotten a good start out of Brandon Woodruff. You liked what you saw from Gio Gonzalez on Sunday, right? Even though the Brewers didn't win. Maybe feeling a little bit better. Like that starting rotation is beginning to settle. And the offense is well over the weekend. Getting some production, not just through base hits, doubles, singles. Playing small ball with a with a fielder's choice or a sack fly. Not all coming through the home runs. And seeing a lot of production from the meat of that order. Moustakis, Aguilar getting rolling. Shaw had a couple of hits. Over the weekend, the Brewers desperately needed production from the meat of their order, and they, they, they started to get some of those things. Started to uh, to erase some of the doubts that I had, or at least make improvement uh, and make progress towards erasing some of those doubts. Well, that all went down the tubes the last two nights. Everything that could go wrong basically did go wrong. Pitching, defense, offense, although four runs, six runs isn't terrible. Uh, well, let's start with last night. We had a... Uh, we had intramural football last night at UWL. We played three games. Last night was playoffs. So we play a game and before the Brewers had started. I leave my phone over by the bench. We go out, uh, play two halves. Took about a half hour, 45 minutes. I come back after the game, look at my phone, and the Brewers were down uh, what would have been last night, three to nothing. Then they, then they pull back in. They get three, two. All right. Brewers are right there, three, two. And then they score a couple runs. And when I last checked my phone... The Brewers were actually up 4-3. to Alright, here we go. Pretty catastrophic start, right? Chase Anderson uh, can't go. They have to slide in Jacob Barnes. And Corbin Burns is removed from uh, or, or called up quickly and, and frantically. And I'm thinking, alright, the Brewers are up 4-3. They can win this game. Uh, and all of the, the, the clunkiness aside, uh, they're going to come out of tonight with a victory. Put my phone back down. We go play another game. I, I come back and the Brewers lost 11-4. And I'm thinking, what? What? How? Get at the box score. All right, so Corbin Burns still giving up hits, still giving up runs. No home runs. Improved in that department, but still couldn't buy it out. The Brewers lose last night 11-4. to Well, today, at least there was no deception. At least there was no uh, hopes from the beginning. Freddie Peralta surrendering four runs in the first inning, three runs in the second inning. 
and it was 7-0 to before the Brewers even put a run on the board uh, in the bottom of the third inning. All the progress that we saw over the weekend, uh, well, one step forward, two steps back the last couple of nights. So let's talk Brewers baseball. We're going to do a we're going to do a wide open examination of the of the Milwaukee Brewers right now because the Bucks have been taking so much of our attention. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good night and I hope you didn't allow the Brewers uh, last two games to to knock you off your mood. They have a weekend set coming up with the Mets, uh, an opponent that they were able to handle pretty well last time around, last weekend, of course, uh, because God forbid the MLB should put some put some diversity in the schedule. But you like the common opponent, you like the result from last weekend, the Brewers are at home. And, oh yeah, uh, that bad man, Christian Yelich, hopefully should be returning before too long. 608-796-2558, that's the five-star telecom talking text line. If you want to talk Brewers, shoot me a text, give me a call. I'd love to have a conversation. We're going to talk a lot of things regarding the Milwaukee Brewers throughout the show. And by the way, Milwaukee Bucks, a tiny little sneaky small headline uh, falling through the NBA. I don't know. Coming down the wire. Is that the official term to use? I saw it on Twitter from a couple sources. Um, Some news breaking about the availability for Malcolm Brogdon tomorrow night. Uh, Apparently he's out. Still a lot of time, still over 24 hours until uh, the game gets underway. So that could change. I would imagine Budenholzer is going to try to play that close to the vest. So we'll talk about that coming up as well. I I want to talk about the Brewers, and it can't be only me, right? I, I've watched the Brewers now for years and years and years, and then they've never been able to home grow their pitchers. They've had flashes where uh, uh, Jimmy Peralta, or, or not, not Freddie Peralta, Jimmy Peralta, what was his name? The other Peralta. I think it was Jimmy, wasn't it? Why am I drawing a blank? He would come in, and, and he'd have stretches of brilliance. And then he, he'd have stretches of, of just horrible pitching to the point where he needed to be in the bullpen. He needed to be sent down. They had great stretches with Giovanni Garda, but they also had some really bad stretches as well. But one theme that I can always seemingly go back to is why do Brewers, starting pitchers, always struggle to open games? You'll see it all the time. Freddie Peralta giving up four runs in the first inning today, three runs in the second inning. And then, and then, and then, and then, people say, well, he calmed down after his early struggles. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't matter how much you calm down. I don't care if Freddie Peralta throws the next seven innings, the third through the ninth, and goes scoreless. The next six innings, seven innings, however far you push him, he can go the complete game. If he goes up seven runs in the first two innings, I don't care how good he is for the rest of the game. He has put his team in, in just about an insurmountable hole, a hole that they can't climb out of. For example, ESPN does this fascinating thing. If you ever check out their website, which is normally where I go to look at the box scores and and to kind of have a visual in front of me so I can look at it inning by inning and picture of uh, the winning record, the pitching of the losing record, I can have that information in front of me. They do this really interesting thing after the game where uh, it's a line chart that shows uh, the game trends, right? Now, in basketball, it's a little bit more interesting because the, the scoring is more fluid. It goes up and down. Football, there's more scoring, a little bit more up and down. Baseball, the line graph, basically the middle of the graph is 50%, and then top is 100% for Colorado, Brewers 100% at the bottom. And the line graph will track up or down, or up near Colorado's side, or down near Milwaukee's side, based on the scoring and based on the trends in the game, to show you, at an exact moment in the game, what the percentage was that a particular team was going to win. Right? So, so I'm, I'm examining the first inning right now. We're going to the top of the first inning. Colorado's up 3-0. And before, uh, and before one half of an inning was complete, Colorado had a 73.3% chance to win this game. Before the Brewers even had an opportunity to hit. 
before the Brewers ever got a, a chance to touch a bat, step into the batter's box, Colorado had a 73.3% chance to win the game. And I know you Brewers fans, you must be just as frustrated as I when you watch a starting pitcher go out and, and throw 30 pitches in the first inning and you go, man, man, that was a grind. Man, that was a struggle. Only to turn around and have a couple of good innings, whether they make it to the fifth, to the sixth. Now, any starting pitcher throwing 30 pitches in the first inning is basically going to seal the fate of a short start. Probably not a quality start, but there are odds, and you see it more often than not sometimes when a starting pitcher kind of settles down after some early struggles. I don't care how settled in you get. I don't care how dominant you are. If if your team picks up a bat in a hole by three runs, in a hole by four runs, if Colorado's got a 75% chance to win a game before the Brewers even have an opportunity to hit once, Starting pitchers not doing their job. You you can't live that way. You cannot win games constantly falling behind three to nothing, four to nothing, five to nothing, and in the case of last night, seven to nothing. Excuse me, earlier today, seven to nothing after the first two innings. I don't care how powerful of an offense you have. I don't care how good of a bullpen you have, which isn't the case with the Brewers. I don't care how good Freddie Peralta gets after those first two innings, which he was he was fine. He was fine, right? It's not like he settled back in. It, it, all of that is moot. None of that matters if your team is behind four runs, if your team is behind seven runs before they even op- have an opportunity to, to jump on the scoreboard. Unreal. Unreal. And, and after today's game, and, and we'll maybe try to uh, to grab that sound and so I can share what Craig Council shared uh, with the media after the game, talking about, yeah, I mean, we got to have a conversation about Freddie Peralta's start uh, spot in the starting rotation. But yeah, and that's what you heard before Corbin Burns got sent down, right? Corbin Burns had a horrible start before he was sent down to the minors. And what was what was the tagline? What was the quotation from Craig Council? We have to have a conversation about Corbin Burns' role. Well, Craig Council hit us with the C word today after the, after this game, the 11-6 loss. We, it's time to have a conversation. Freddie Peralta going four innings, giving up six earned runs, three strikeouts, and three walks. Three walks, and we'll talk about the walks coming up next as well. Three walks and only four innings of work. You're just making it harder on yourself. You're just putting extra base runners on base. You're just giving yourself extra stress and less margin for error. Uh, another pretty poor starting pitching performance tonight. Uh, and we can say the same thing about last night. Brewers dropped two in a row since the last time we've talked. Let's continue the Brewers conversation because this is uplifting, right? This is fun. We got to dig even deeper. Uh, and I'm I'm going to give the Brewers some credit coming up. I'm going to give the Brewers some credit. Because they have faced some adversity. They have gone through some bad luck. We'll talk about that coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. <laughs> The, the, the walks hurt him, you know, and then he, and then he's got a, he's got Reynolds down in the count, and he just he made a mistake, um, and you know with two with bases loaded because of the walks, and you get you get three runs on the board after you make a mistake. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host Grant Bills. That's Craig Council, and I like talking about making a mistake. He made a mistake. Pitchers make mistakes. The best pitchers make mistakes. It's the rest of it. It's all the other details you heard in there. The walks, the falling behind in the count, the errors in the infield, although I don't think he specifically mentioned that in the soundbite. Pitchers make mistakes. Freddie Peralta's going to make mistakes. Clayton Kershaw makes mistakes. You remember when uh, when Brandon Woodruff hit a bomb off of Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs last year? I, I don't know spe- the specific statistics of the odds of something like that happening, but it happened. Mistakes are made even by the best pitchers. It's about controlling the controllables. Every once in a while, you're going to hang a fastball. It's going to happen. 
You're going to let a slider get away from you. It's going to hang over the plate, and, and, and it's no doubt going to fly out of the ballpark. But what about the hitter before that and the hitter before that? Did you, did you walk that hitter? Did you put him on for no reason? Well, before making this mistake, did you fall behind in the count? Did your infield do everything you can to make sure that base runners are minimalized and hits are minimalized? It's, it's everything else surrounding the pitching, and I, that's why I really like that soundbite. Craig Council talking about he, he liked his velocity in the first inning. He liked the way he came out. He just made a mistake or two here and there, and that was compounded by all the other mistakes being made, not only by Freddie, but on the infield around him as well. Uh, we do got to talk about the Brewers starting pitching because the last two nights, uh, it hasn't been great. Freddie Peralta, I should say today, not the last two nights, but last night and this afternoon. Freddie Peralta taking the uh, taking the loss earlier this afternoon. Four innings, six earned runs, three strikeouts, and three walks. Getting dinged for four in the first, third in the second. And then last night, it, it was just all over the place. The Brewers I apparently had to make a snap decision at the last second. I'm going to be real. I, I've, I'm very skeptical that Corbin Burns just happened to be in the neighborhood and happened to be nearby when Chase Anderson happened to to discover that he wasn't going to be able to go with that callus on his finger. Maybe that is the way that it shook out. Either way, it was a disaster for the Brewers. They start Barnes for an inning, and then Hart goes three, and then Burns goes two, and then Albers and, and Jackson and Jefferson. It was a gong show last night. Today was a little bit more organized. Uh, it, it goes Peralta, Taylor Williams, Jeremy Jeffers, who pitched two good innings. Maybe that was the silver lining in this game. Uh, the, the Jeremy Jeffress showed a little bit of life today after a, a tougher outing last night. The Brewers have had to deal with a lot of ups and downs and a lot of different things. So I am going to give the Brewers credit, and maybe you'll agree with me here, or maybe not. Uh, either way, you can let me hear it, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. As bad as the Brewers have looked at times, we got two things to put it into perspective. The Brewers right now sit at 17 and 16. They're a game over 500. And they have uh, what's going to be six more games on this homestand, two more three-game series after a four-game set with the Rockies that they split. So they'll have the Mets this weekend, Brandon Woodruff, Gio Gonzalez, and Zach Davies, which you like. Those guys, you feel a little bit more confident that you know what you're going to get with those three guys, at least so far this season. Knock on wood. As poor as the Brewers have looked, you like where they're going later this week and into the weekend, and they're still a game over 500, and the, the division is very well still in reach. And it's May 2nd. But the Brewers maybe have an excuse. I mean, I don't want to call it an excuse. They've definitely had to go through some things. One of my favorite expressions is injuries aren't an excuse. They're an explanation, right? Every team has to go through injuries in some way, fashion, or form, and at some time and place. Some teams get lucky for a season. But for the most part, for the average team in the average year, you're going to have to deal with an injury here and there. It's it's how you deal with it. So I'm not using injuries as an excuse for the Brewers' 17-16 and 16 record and, and horrible performances against the Rockies and against the Cardinals last week and some poor games against the Dodgers as well. What I will say is it might be a bit of an explanation. We went into this year, the Brewers went into this year, in lieu a little bit at starting pitcher. You knew they were going to have Shasin. And after that, we had some question marks. They had some young guys, and they were going to have to work them in. There was certainly going to be a learning curve. And then were you going to fill the back end with Zach Davies? I mean, Jimmy Nelson's coming back hopefully before too long. Uh, at least the Brewers hope. So there were some question marks. And while they're trying to work through these question marks, you get hit with the injury bug. Freddie Peralta goes down. And then as soon as Chase Anderson actually starts to pitch pretty well in relief in the starting rotation for Freddie Peralta, well, now Chase Anderson goes down. It's like, okay, well, it's tough to get out in front of it. And don't get me wrong. That's only two players 
Uh, we could talk about how Christian Yelich is dealing with a back injury, but but hopefully that ends up to be minimal. And of course, Ryan Braun, you always got to rest him a little bit as well to try to avoid injury. So the, the Brewers have had to deal with injury. It's not like it's been catastrophic, but I, I think the injuries to Freddie Peralta and to Chase Anderson and the struggles for Corbin Burns weighs a little bit heavier. It means a little bit more to those players. I, I'm pretty confident that if Yolisha Seen had to go on the 10-day IL, he could come back on that 10th day or on that 11th day, what have you, and be ready to start and, and probably not have lost much spring in his step. Not lost much progress, right? I'm pretty confident in that. And I would feel the same for Zach Davies as well. Last summer, the problem with Davies is you saw injuries pile up and linger and not go away. Freddie Peralta's injury wasn't that bad. It was only a 10-day IL stint, and he was ready probably a little bit sooner than that 10-day mark rolled around. He, he scheduled uh, yesterday, started on schedule. Today, I should say, not last night. The problem is when you get these young pitchers, uh, young athletes in just about any sport, and I'll give you an example or two in a moment or here, you're losing out on valuable learning time, valuable development time. Okay, for Brandon Woodruff and for Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, the first couple of months of the season, April and May, is is a testing period for the Brewers and for those pitchers to kind of get their feet under them. They're going to have opportunities. Corbin Burns was given just about as many opportunities as you can afford the guy. Freddie Peralta has gotten that up until this point as well. Craig Council said after the game that we're going to have to have a conversation about his role in the starting lineup. But up until this point, those guys have been given the opportunity to make some mistakes, try to learn from it to see how they react and respond. Getting injured right now is, is not a, it's not ideal for Freddie Peralta, who's trying to become a, a regular starter, trying to find what works best for him, what kind of routine he wants to go through, and how he wants to handle starting every couple of days. There's a learning curve. Losing out on this developmental time for these young pitchers is huge. And the more the Brewers fart around, sending guys up, sending guys down, on and off the IL and in and out of the bullpen and into the starting rotation, you're just making this transition clunkier for Corbin Burns. Freddie Peralta is just going to have a more difficult time adjusting to life as an as a as a standard run of the mill piece of a starting pitching rotation on the Milwaukee Brewers and in Major League Baseball. Great example. A couple of years ago, let's look at the Packers. Let's take the Packers for example. Vince Beagle's drafted in the third round, and at the time, we all thought, okay. He, he might not be T.J. Watt, but he's damn close. And because he doesn't have the last name Watt, and because he wasn't even the best player on his own team, on his own defense in college, he's going to fall a little bit in the draft. So Ted Thompson takes him in the third round, or, or the fourth round, wherever it was, a little bit later on in the draft. Now he gets injured, misses a lot of training camp, misses a lot of OTAs, and really doesn't get those meaningful minutes of practice and repetitions. A, a chance for a guy like Vince Beagle to, to figure out life in the NFL, at least in the beginning. Kind of cut his teeth, be around other players, see what they're doing, learn from them, learn how to keep his body in perfect shape and, and recover after a practice and warm up before a practice and go into the season feeling like you have a good handle on the playbook and the scheme and how to interact with teammates. When you get hurt as you're coming into the NFL, those are tough minutes to get back. Those are, those are practice minutes. Those are workout minutes that you can't get back. Montrevious Adams is another example. He got hurt, and he has yet uh, to be the player that I think the Packers thought he could be when they drafted him. Early injuries, right at the onset of a career or at the onset of a new role, makes it really difficult. Let's say I'm starting day one. I'm starting to work here at WKTY, and I come in, and I have a training day, and I write everything down, and, and I am start to 
setting to, to start training the next day and I'm going to come in with my notes and get to work. I'm going I'm to make some mistakes, but that's okay. This is the first couple of days, right? Well, let's say I get sick. I get real sick. I get pneumonia and I can't work for three weeks, four weeks. All, all of that instruction right off the bat and all those notes that I took and all those conversations that I had go right out the window. And now when I come back in three weeks, four weeks, the boss is going to say, oh man, we really need you. Thank God you're back. All right, I'm going to schedule you here and here and, and, and we're ready to go, right? Well, it's the same thing with the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Burns or Freddie Peralta, I know Corbin Burns is in the minors. It's not an injury, but it's the same principle. Freddie Peralta goes down for 10 days. And in the meantime, Corbin Burns self-destructs and Chase Anderson get hurt. And when he comes back, what do you think Freddie Peralta is hearing? Man, we're so glad we need you. I, we're so glad to have you back, ready to get you back out on the mound because we are starving for quality pitching right now. And Freddie's saying, I, man, I've been in the minors. I have, I've barely been able to get my feet under me so far this year. It's tough to get these original developmental minutes back because the farther we get into the summer, games become more meaningful. Matchups become more meaningful because there's less time to adjust. There's less time to correct your course. If you're on a big losing streak in July, it means a lot more than a big losing streak in April or May. This is when I want Freddie Peralta out on the hill to struggle, not on the injured list. This is when I want Corbin Burns out on the mound with an opportunity to struggle and learn, not in the minor leagues. Man, the injuries and the shuffle back and forth, bullpen, starting rotation, AAA, major leagues, it has been a mess for the Brewers. And even if they're losing games, even if they're struggling, I want to lose and I want to struggle with the pieces that they believe to be a part of their future. And I think Freddie Peralta is part of that future. Corbin Burns, part of that future. They need some consistency. The Brewers, the Brewers just need a moment to catch their breath. Get their guys back into the swing of things and see if they can't establish some sort of everyday routine. Man, oh man. Since opening day, a lot has changed with this Brewers team in the starting rotation, in the batting order, in the bullpen. Outside of the injuries, outside of the shuffle between the majors and the minors, a lot has transpired. And, and maybe that goes into the fact that the Brewers are now 17 and 16 after a great start, after a promising start that we thought was going to be more of the Brewers team for the rest of the year, at least more so than the team that we've seen the last two weeks. So let's talk about this. Brewers going through some stuff. We're talking it out. It's a safe space. Get your frustrations out. Uh, get your thoughts out. Join me on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. Brewers discussion. Brewers venting continues next. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Don't forget, you can always stream live at our website, WKTYsports.com. And maybe you got something going on. Maybe you can't catch the show or maybe you want to re-listen. You can do that as well at WKTYsports.com. Just click on the podcasts tab. My show, Dave and Scrady's show, anything you could possibly need uh, and anything you could possibly want to listen to. Is right there. Brewers take two games on the chin since we've talked last. 11 to 6 earlier today, 11 to 4 last night. They lose the final pair of the four game set to the Colorado Rockies. And look, I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses for the Brewers. They have had to deal with injuries. They've had to deal with players being shuffled up and down and, and trying to figure out their bullpen. Now Jeremy Jeffers is coming back, so who do we scoot over and who do we move up and down? There's a lot of moving parts, and I think what would be great for the Brewers and probably what they're trying to accomplish is to just get some damn stability. Get the starting rotation the way that they want it and ride it out for a week or two, a go-round or two. 
Try to get everyone healthy. Try to get everyone in a place where they can be a competent starting pitcher and they can just try to work through some things at the major league level. And then they haven't really been able to do that. Their batting order, because of injuries now to Christian Yelich and and issues with, up until a few days ago, Jesus Aguilar. Now Travis Shaw can't put the damn bat on the ball. Like Everybody's being shuffled around. Everybody's being moved around. Today's lineup, if you uh, didn't watch the game, you didn't listen to the game, at least the starting lineup, uh, looks as such, or looked as such. Ben Gamble hit leadoff. Eric Thames hit second. Kane and Moustakis at 3-4. Shaw hitting fifth. Braun was in the sixth hole. And then Pena, Arcia, Peralta to round out 7-8-9. Not exactly uh, the dream lineup that we talked about leading up to and, and during opening day, right? Where you had Kane, Yelich, Braun, Shaw, Moustakis, Aguilar, Arcia, Grandal, and then your pitcher's spot. Well, like that, we were talking about that batting order, and I know I talked to some listeners about it. That's one of the best opening day batting orders the, the, the Brewers may have ever seen, and we compared it to the starting lineup of 2011 and 2008, back into the early and late 80s. Like, just the, the firepower and the pop in that original opening day batting order was crazy. And here's the funny thing. Since then... It's been a whole lot of switching around and a whole lot of guys not panning out like you thought and some guys hitting better than you thought and and moving up and down from the top to the bottom and to the middle to the outside. It's been a lot of transition, a a lot of uh, sliding players around, much like it's been in their bullpen and their starting rotation. If there's one thing the Brewers haven't been this year, it's stable. Think about that opening day hype and now fast forward to right now. How many things have changed? What we know now that we didn't know then. For example, Travis Shaw is hitting a buck 89 right now. A buck 89. And what's frustrating is Travis Shaw has one good game or two okay games back to back. And the conversation switches to, oh, Travis Shaw's hot. He's out of his slump. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> he's just being, he's being a competent MLB hitter for once this year. That's what's happening. He's hitting 189. Ryan Braun has not been good. I mean, he hit a home run earlier today. He's hitting 206. Now, Ryan Braun does hit with a lot of power, but but he doesn't hit the home run like he used to. Insert steroid joke here for any Brewers haters, for any Ryan Braun haters, right? He doesn't hit the home run like he used to. He he strikes out too much. He doesn't get on base enough. 206 is not good enough to hit three hole, hit in the three hole in a team that is trying to get back to the postseason and trying to go a next step after last year. Ben Gamble has not been, I don't think, the player they thought he was going to be. I think they would have been better off holding on to Domingo Santana, especially with how much he has played. Well, and obviously now with the with the uh, Christian Yelich injury. Jesus Aguilar has just been damn miserable until a couple of days ago. Now, it does appear that he's seeing the ball a little bit better. It was last night. The Brewers lost 11-4 to to the Rockies. And if you look at Jesus Aguilar's stat line, he actually walked four times. Now, you might look at that, if you're looking at the box score, maybe you didn't watch the game or you didn't get to catch it, so you're trying to fill yourself in. You look at Jesus Aguilar, zero at bats, zero runs, zero hits, zero RBIs, and you're thinking, wait a damn minute. What a horrible night. Well, no, he actually walked four times. That's an indicator to me that even though he didn't put the ball in play and he, and he didn't get a hit, he didn't get a home run, he's seeing the ball better. He's waiting for the game to come to him a little bit. And if we remember back to last year, that was part of what made Jesus Aguilar so good, is even when he wasn't cranking the ball out of the ballpark and hitting with power and pulling the ball, he was putting it into right field, right? He was not afraid to to have a little seeing eye single up the middle. Just put the bat on the ball, let the rest do itself, and the home runs came. Well, 
last night, that was a little bit more promise from Jesus Aguilar. So I do think he's back onto the right track, even if he doesn't return to uh, 2018 form, which I think is a solid possibility. If you listen to the show throughout the winter, I, I talked about my concern for Jesus Aguilar all the time because I wasn't convinced that the player we saw last year was going to be the player that the Brewers are going to get going forward. Now, so far that's been the case. I wish I was wrong. Once again, thinking back to opening day and everything that has changed, Shaw hitting 189, Braun just barely over 200, Jesus hitting 173, he's been a lot better of the last three or four days. He didn't play today. Eric Thames got the start at first base, but he's at least showing like he's trending in the right direction. Can you imagine? uh, Imagine what the Brewers record, and imagine what we'd be saying right now about the Brewers over the last, let's say, six days. Let's look back to last Friday when they started the Mets series. What would the Brewers' offense look like without Mike Moustakis? He's been tremendous. And he's not the flashy player that Christian Yelich is. He's not the guy who's going to get the highlight reels and the Instagram posts from the MLB and, and, and from Fox Sports and ESPN like Christian Yelich is. But he has been incredibly effective the last six days. And to think that there was a time where Brewers fans like us we're looking at this roster and say, man, where do you put Moustakis? You know, they signed Grandal. Who, where's he going to play? This team is stacked. Do they even need him? Oh, man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine where the Brewers would be? They're one game over 500 right now. Can you imagine where they'd be if Mike Moustakis wasn't on this team and he hasn't been hitting the way that he has been hitting the last week or so? He's been the one bright spot in the meat of that order. He was hitting cleanup today. And and look, if nothing else changes over the next couple of days and into this Mets series, we might see more of Mike Moustakis in the cleanup spot. He's been tremendous. There was a day where the Brewers didn't have Mike Moustakis on this roster, and we took a look at it and said, oh my gosh, they are going to score runs. Oh my gosh, they're going to hit for power. Holy smokes, they're going to rack up doubles and, and triples and extra base hits and RBIs. Well, that has failed to be the case at times, even with Mike Moustakis. So I think we can count our blessings uh, that Mike Moustakis is a brewer, and they did go out and, and bring him back for one more year. It's crazy to think back to opening day and all everything that's transpired since then. Pretty wild to think. We thought that might have been the best, and I still think that was one of, if not the best, brewers opening day batting order ever, at least that I've seen in my lifetime. Now they sit at a game over 500. They're third in the NL Central. What's your biggest concern? We've covered a lot of ground today, and it's not something I'm not necessarily asking you to call or text in. You can certainly call or text if you'd like to, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line, but but here here's the thing. If you want to be a championship contending team in whatever sport, in whatever league, you don't have to be perfect. But but you need to have you need to have one thing that you lean on. You need to have you need to have one thing that's your calling card, right? In football, maybe your defense is tremendous, and if your defense is good enough, your offense only has to be competent. You can lean on the defense; that's your trademark. In baseball, maybe your starting rota- your starting rotation maybe isn't great, but if your bullpen is as good as it was last year for the Brewers, you're going to win a lot of games. And if you can just be competent in the starting pitching, you can just be competent. On the offensive end, when you when you got the bats in the hand, you can win a lot of games, right? In basketball, well, if you can shoot a lot of threes, if you can lean on that, you're going to win a lot of games. Your defense maybe doesn't have to be perfect, and, and you don't have to be a great free throw shooting team, and maybe you don't get out in transition a whole lot, but you shoot the hell out of the three ball. Okay, we'll lean on that. That's what we embrace. That's our calling card. Baseball is very similar. Let's think about this Milwaukee Brewers team right now. In, in baseball, you, you kind of have three, maybe four facets if you really want to dig into it. And four phases of the game. You have your starting pitching, your bullpen pitching, 
your offense, and your defense. What's the Brewers calling card right now? Somebody asks you, what does this Milwaukee Brewers team do well? What do they do way better than anyone else? Or what's their strength? What's their trademark? What would you say? I don't know. I, I would, At this point, you'd probably have to say the offense. But the problem is the offense has a tendency and, and a habit to go cold at the absolute worst times. So I'm not going to guess up this Brewers batting batting order and, and the way that they hit the ball because they've gone cold too many times. Certainly not the starting rotation. It's certainly not the bullpen because I've been watching this Brewers team all season. I've been, been coming on the show and talking about this Brewers season. And I'm looking through the box score last night and I'm looking at who pitched and I'm saying, Jay Jackson, who? Right, Derek Hart, who? Is that his name, Derek D. Hart? There's guys in there's guys in this bullpen I don't know. So what is their what is their calling card? What is it that they do well? What is it that they do better than anyone else or anything else? Identity is identity is kind of a big thing in sports. It's very abstract. It doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, but it's for a team to compete and for a team to to chase a championship spot and, and to try to win a championship get into the playoffs at the very least, you need to have an identity. What is this Brewers team's identity right now? What can they lean on? I I, I don't know. I don't know. That's something we're going to have to think about uh, over the course of the next week or so as, as we really see, because this Brewers team is either going to continue to trend in the way that they are, which eventually will become a sub-500 baseball team, or they're going to improve, and, and Chase Anderson's going to get healthy, Corbin Burns hopefully bounces back, Freddie Peralta hopefully finds a role somewhere on this team, and they start to pitch better, and they'll trend back higher and higher, hopefully over 500. But right now, this Brewers team is without an identity. So that's something they got to figure out, something we got to think about and continue to talk about here on the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up next, before we say goodbye, I want to talk uh, I want to talk Bucks. They have Game 3 tomorrow night from TD Garden in Boston. That game can be heard right here on WKTY. Little piece of news coming across the wire earlier today. Now, this news headline could change, but as of right now, it doesn't look like Malcolm Brogdon is going to play. I want to talk about Malcolm Brogdon and his significance to the Bucks. We talk about identity with the Milwaukee Brewers. Malcolm Brogdon might be, outside of Giannis, one of the biggest pieces of this Bucks team's identity. Let's talk about that before we say goodbye. Coming up next, you're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard. Thanks for hanging out. It's been kind of somber today. It's been kind of frustrating. Talking about the Brewers. Two uh, two losses that are just about as frustrating as you can get. 11-6, to 11-4. Well, anytime you're giving up 11 runs, uh, is typically not going to bode well, regardless of how good your offense is. But I, I think the Brewers are kind of without an identity right now. Last year, they were a team that had a tremendous bullpen and only needed to scrounge out a little lead and just do good enough in the starting pitching department uh, to let that incredible bullpen take over and seal the deal down. And then they rode that all the way to Game 7 of the NLCS. Right now, I don't really know what it is they do well. Their bullpen is not nearly that great. Their starting pitching has been a, an, an, an unorganized nightmare at times, uh, to put it uh, harshly. And their offense has been okay, but inconsistent at times. And... and <laughs> Kind of on script with last year, willing and ready to disappear when they need it the most. The Brewers are without an identity right now. And speaking of identity, 
I, I want to talk about the Bucks before we're done today. They play the Celtics tomorrow night, and I, the the Celtics or not the Celtics, the Bucks do have an identity. It is Giannis and everyone around Giannis. Their offense is allow Giannis to be a monster, to be a beast, to get into the paint, wreck havoc, to screw up the defense, and to find the right man. Whether that's kick out corner three, Brook Lopez at the top, a back cutting Eric Bledsoe. Right, it's up to Giannis to make the right play. That's kind of their team's identity. Well, one player that I think is, is more important to the identity, the flow, the chemistry of this Bucks team, maybe more so than anyone else, is Malcolm Brogdon. I have a buddy who's a diehard Timberwolves fan. And I and I, I don't necessarily think he actively cheers against the Bucks. I was talking to him last night. It's I, I think he's pretty indifferent. He is a huge Malcolm Brogdon fan. Because I think he understands just to be plain and, and to try to not be biased here, just how damn good Malcolm Brogdon is. He's phenomenal. And it was reported earlier today by Malcolm, uh, by Matt Velasquez, and of course you can find this on the NBA website and on their social media channels as well, that he's listed out for Game 3 tomorrow night on the latest NBA injury report. Now, I got my hopes up yesterday, and, and he can still play tomorrow night, don't get me wrong, but we spoke to Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network, and, and he seemed to think, and I believe the quote was, there is a good chance that we see Malcolm Brogdon make his playoff debut on Friday night. And and they still could because the N- the NBA injury reports are updated every day, right? I, I can't imagine Budenholzer, if he knows right now that Malcolm Brogdon is going to play, that he wants to scream it from the, the mountaintops and, and, and climb up on top of the Pfizer form and yell it to downtown Milwaukee and, and go tell uh, everyone in Boston as well. You want to keep something like that close to the chest and just use that as, as something to kind of pull out as late as you possibly can. Malcolm Brogdon has now been out uh, for, obviously, an extended period of time with that torn plantar fascia in his foot, which is an incredibly painful ailment, uh, whether it's plantar fasciitis or just a torn plantar fascia. It's actually better, from everything I've read and from people that I've listened to talk, it's better to just tear the thing so you can recover, so you can actually heal, uh, because plantar fasciitis in and of itself, which isn't really a tear, it's just a, it's well, it's an itis, it's an infection, it's an injury, right? But it's not like a broken arm. It would be like a broken arm, but it's not broken, so you can't put it in a cast. You can't really let it heal. Uh, that's my understanding of it. And obviously, you don't come here for medical advice, so I will I will bow out right there. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. Always a good reminder. Thank you. I, I think Malcolm Brogdon, even though he has missed a substantial amount of time, can be an effective player in the right regard and in the right situations immediately when he comes back. Naturally, there's going to be uh, an adjustment period uh, where he, his body has to return to to game shape. Because remember, your body can be ready. Your injured portion or, or, or limb or, or part of your body can be ready for action and ready to return. That doesn't mean that you're physically in shape for return to play. That doesn't mean you're mentally ready for return to play. So there's always an adjustment period. But with Malcolm Brogdon, I I look at Brogdon differently than I would look at Eric Bledsoe. Definitely differently than I would look at Giannis or Jabari Parker in the regard that he doesn't need to physically dominate to be effective. He doesn't need to be faster. He doesn't need to be able to jump higher. He doesn't need to be able uh, to cut quicker than a defender to be effective. What makes Malcolm Brogdon so incredibly important and incredibly effective on this Bucks team is that He's always in the right place at the right time. He's always making the right pass. He's always taking efficient, makeable shots, which is why he's going to be one of the first 50-90-40 players or 90-50-40 players in a long time. 90% from the free throw line, 50% from the field, and 40% from three. It's very difficult to do, and it's a testament, and it goes to show you the type of player that Malcolm Brogdon is. 
Malcolm Brogdon is so good and he fits so well and is so effective on this Bucks team because he is, God, I hate this word. Now I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. He is cerebral. He is not Eric Bledsoe in the regard that he just hypes himself up. And, and sometimes you'll watch Eric Bledsoe. He gets a little bit caught up in the 1v1 matchup against his man like Terry Rozier last year. You watch a guy like Russell Westbrook. He'll unwind on a basketball court trying to best his matchup across the way. Right? Malcolm Brogdon doesn't get into things like that. Malcolm Brogdon doesn't worry about things like that. He's an incredibly smart player. Like I said, right place, right time, all the time. That's what makes Malcolm Brogdon so important. And I've never been in the position of Malcolm Brogdon with a torn plantar fascia and then returning into an NBA playoff game, obviously. But Malcolm Brogdon's strengths and his abilities that are going to help this Bucks team when he's inserted back into the lineup, hopefully sooner rather than later, don't require him to physically best anyone. Assuming he can still shoot the ball and assuming he can still finish around the rim and hit free throws and be a a, a glue guy on the floor, he's going to have an impact right away. Now, how many minutes? Where are those minutes? That's another conversation for another time. But I think Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a help to this Bucks team immediately, even if there is an adjustment period, which there will be, to get mentally back into uh, competitive shape, to get physically back into competitive shape, even though his plantar fascia, when he is cleared to play, will be good to go. His foot will be good to go. What about the rest of the body? What about the rest of the mind? That's really what it comes down to. And if it was Eric Bledsoe, I would be thinking differently. If it was Giannis, I'd be thinking differently. Giannis is Giannis because he is bigger, taller, faster, stronger, more athletic, and he will just back you down and beat your ass to the basket on every single play, no matter how many guys you throw at him. And if you throw enough guys at him or you do stop him, he's gotten very effective at making the right pass and finding the open man for the shot which is why the Bucks have been so good this year. Malcolm Brogdon does not fall into that category. He does not have to physically dominate, run faster, jump higher, cut quicker. He just has to be out there. I truly believe just putting him out on the floor will make a difference. And look, maybe he comes back tomorrow, maybe he doesn't. I, I think the consensus earlier this week, or at least the, the optimistic hope, was that he would return in some form or fashion tomorrow night. And even if that doesn't turn out to be the case, hopefully he will return at some point in Boston to have a little bit of run before they come back to Milwaukee for Game 5. Hopefully. But I'm not concerned with Malcolm Brogdon. I think he can be an effective player in probably, albeit, limited minutes right off the bat just because of his skill set, just because of his mental makeup and what he provides for the Bucks. Game 3. I had to double-check myself. Game 3, first one in Boston tomorrow night. You'll hear that game here on WKTY. We'll talk a little bit beforehand, get ready for the game. We'll also talk a little Brewers as well. Packers draft, obviously, we're breaking that down as well. So be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Talk to you then.